All right, all right. Well, welcome to the Dunamis podcast. I got a friend of mine here in the house. Manny Arango está aquí. Manny, sea bienvenido. Welcome to you too. It's going to be with you, man. It's going to be with you. You may not know this, but this man is Cuban. He's a Cuban Cuban from Boston. Yeah. Manny and I are friends. uh, And uh, this guy is a preacher, a fiery preacher. This guy's got a traveling ministry, but I mean, he's he's also building church locally in different places in the states. Yeah, and uh, Manny, I'm not gonna go give everybody the bio, but I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and and welcome to the Dunamis Podcast, man. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. And uh, like you said, I am Cuban. My dad is Cuban. If you've ever seen the movie Scarface, yeah, you've actually a classic. Seen- yeah, you've seen part of my dad's story. Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So in the beginning of, of Scarface, right, uh, Al Pacino. When, when, when they're coming. Yeah, gets to, released to, from to Florida. prison. Yeah, exactly. And Fidel Castro dumps all his prisoners on the Miami Harbor. That's exactly yeah. what happened to my father. For real? My father was serving in 18, he was in prison for 18 years, serving a in sentence. In Cuba. In Cuba. And Fidel Castro, because America had given asylum to Cuban refugees, Fidel Castro took advantage. Oh, he was like, if you want Cubans, I, I'll give you Cubans. Uh, and so my he, dad. He was the OG of OGs. Oh, yeah. Castro, bro. I mean, that guy oh. was gangster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty so he, gangster he, move. He got rid of all, like, all of his the prisoners. prisoners. Oh, yeah. Dumped Put them a, in the Miami Harbor. Dumped them in the Miami Harbor. And uh, that's how my dad got to America. Wow. Now, now, how did you come about? Okay. Uh, well, my parents, they had to do this thing called well, sex, well, Tao. I knew that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, Dude, yeah, uh, so obviously, <laughs> or else we would have had a, a, a virgin, uh, <laughs> yeah, a virgin conception, conception yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom. And I definitely would not be talking about Scarface if you had <laughs> come out of a virgin conception here. But I, I know you're from Boston. Were you born in Boston? I was born and raised in Boston. So my mom, black woman from Selma, Alabama. With wow. a gold tooth to prove it, okay? <laughs> uh, family moves to Boston in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, my mom's born in 1954. Um, and she's, uh, she actually has her first kid at 13, second kid at 15. Wow. Okay? So uh, incredible, like, impoverished situation. How old was she when she had you? She was in her 30s when she had me. Okay. So she's, uh, her, her mother made her marry the guy who actually sexually assaulted her and got her pregnant when she was oh 13. Oh, my gosh. So she's in this really abusive relationship, physically abusive. I bet. With my older sibling's father, dad. Yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she got married at 13 years old, you know, to this guy who, you know, essentially raped her. Oh, my and gosh. And so um, fast forward the story, she's working at Boston City Hospital. Okay. My dad starts working at Boston City Hospital. My dad can speak no English. My dad, every day, though, starts bringing her flowers. Wow. And uh, so my parents were not saved at all, not mm-hmm. even a little bit. My mm-hmm. parents didn't get saved till I was in high school. Okay. So one, one day my dad noticed that my mom, you know, would come to work with, like, heavy makeup because she's covering, like, a black eye, you know. And my dad is very aware yeah. that, like, her, something's going on with, like, her husband, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one day her husband, her first husband comes to Boston city hospital, uh, actually to collect her check, to take her check from her. Oh man. 
my dad hid an IV pole in the bathroom, yanks this guy up. No way. Pulls him into the bathroom. And has a conversation with him. Has a physical conversation with him. <laughs> takes the wedding ring off of his finger. Just like that. And says, my wife now. My Just mother. Just like that. My, oh, gangster. I mean, he was... My, yeah, yeah, let, yeah. let me he give was, context. He was in prison in Cuba. My, let me give context, yeah. okay? Yeah, my yeah. dad has said for years that if I'm ever homeless, I'm going to murder somebody. What? To go to an American prison because it's a hotel. He's like, you eat three meals a day, you get a bed, you get showers. He's like, it's a hotel. He's like, Cuban prison. That is crazy. He's like, we don't eat every day in Cuban prison. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, American prison is a hotel. It, there's like a show on Netflix about the prisons, like the worst prisons in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Have yeah. you seen that? I've seen it. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you I don't know if Cuba's on there. I think, like, Thailand's on oh, there. I, bet. I mean, it, it, it probably is not too far from Guatemala is in there. I, know, I saw one of those... Uh, Brazil's in there. Oh, for real? Yeah, there. I mean, it's hard, bro. Yeah, it's well. Anyways, we're not here to talk about the prison system, so, but my dad beats up her first husband. Like, I mean, teaches him a lesson for real, for real. And then, uh, essentially, tells my mom like it's taken care of. You're my wife, and you're moving in. With, my mom moved in with him that night. My right. mom and her nine-year-old and her seven-year-old. Now that's gangster, right there. Oh, gangster. So, so you coming from a, a gangster bloodline. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And how do you find Jesus in the midst of all of this, man? Dude, so crazy, right? My mom and my dad now are now struggling with infertility. They, they can't get pregnant. And so... Now, hold up real quick. They've your, been together for years. So your siblings, did they move in with your dad? Or, yes. Or, or, yeah. So he takes his... Oh, the yeah. The dude's kids. Oh, Yeah. The oh, wife yeah. and the kids. And never. And the ring. And never. And the ring. Can't forget that part. And the ring. <laughs> and never called them his stepchildren. He was very like, you know, Cuban culture is not. No, you're, you're my kid. You're my kid. If you live in my house, you're my kid. So even the, wow. I, the language of like, oh, half brother or stepbrother, like I it, didn't it have that. It wasn't there, yeah. No, I didn't have that language growing up. And so my parents are struggling to get pregnant. At this point, my sister is 18 years old. My brother's 16 years old. They've lived with my, my dad now for a decade. My mm. parents have been together for about a decade. They cannot get pregnant. My mother, who's not a Christian at all, okay? She's a shoplifting, like, lion. Oh, oh yeah, like. It's I coming mean, from both sides of your family. Oh, yeah, straight dysfunction <laughs> from both sides of my family, okay? Uh, <laughs> That's crazy, man. Um, she prays. Okay, she prays, okay. God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Just like Hannah. The, yeah, and, but she doesn't know who Hannah is. <laughs> she doesn't know who Hannah is. She doesn't know wow. who Moses is. Wow. She doesn't know who any of these people are. And so guess what? You she show gets up. pregnant. You show up. She gets pregnant with me. Wow. But because she doesn't have any spiritual maturity, she gets superstitious. And so she's like, God's going to kill me. If I don't, God's going to curse me if mm. I don't give this boy back to God. So she puts me in a Catholic school. She sends me to an African Methodist Episcopal church. AME. Yeah. And, oh, my God. And sends me to a Pentecostal youth group. 
Man, she doesn't know. She made sure you were surrounded by the gospel. She was more serious about me being in church than some Christian parents oh, are serious for sure, about man. their kids being in church. She my was mother, unapologetically, I mean, putting the gospel in front of oh you. Oh my goodness, she, she's a, and she's a straight heathen. Okay. I mean, she is a heathen, okay? She never goes into the church. She just drops me off. Really? Only drops me off. So maybe so, I'm like five or six years old. So you growing up, you're, you're growing up going to Christian school, uh, Catholic school. Catholic school. Uh, but Priest then, putting communion into my mouth every Friday. Yeah. Man. And, Catholic, and then Catholic. she would take you to like church on. on African Methodist the, Episcopal Church for Sunday weekends, school on Sunday. Okay. Sunday service on And then know, when Sunday. you became like, I don't know, like middle school. Girl, 11, youth group. 12 youth group at the largest Pentecostal church in the city. Okay. Now, is that Jubilee? That's Jubilee. Okay. So that's where you kind of. Would you say you were discipled there? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was discipled there. So, so how was the journey for your discipleship? Um, the journey for my discipleship. Was it going to youth group? Yeah, but I grew up in the kind of church where youth group was integrated with church. So, Like the generations together. Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, youth ministry may have happened on, like, a Wednesday or a Friday, but you're there all on Sunday. my friends went on Sunday. Exactly. And we were there all day. So I would serve for one oh, service. That's and black church for you, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you don't get that in, in other expressions of the body of Christ. That way, I mean, there's a communal, that's what I love about the black church. They're very intentional. We're going to do this as a family. Yes. You put your Sunday best and we're going to church. We're going to church. And this is a, so I'm maybe like 13. So I've, I've been having these questions ever since I was young. Yeah. So I'm five years old. And I, and I say to my parents, now, why do me and dad have one last name and you have a different last name? You were 13? No, five. Oh, five. You're asking that. Why do me and dad have one last well, name? What does your mom say? My mom says, well, you know, because we're not married. So I go to church that next week and I ask my Sunday school teacher, what, what, is it wrong that my parents are not married? The Sunday school teacher says, yeah, well, they had you out of wedlock. I go home, and I go, you guys need to get married. I'm five. <laughs> you guys need to get married. You need to fix this. Bro, this is awesome, man. You need to fix you're, this. You're telling people at five what many pastors don't have the courage to tell <laughs> their members. It didn't take me any courage to say it. You know, I was just like. It's like, matter of fact, yeah, you got to th get married. This is wrong, and uh, you guys got to get married. So they said, okay, we'll get married. So they got married at that AME church, okay, that they've been dropping me off at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for okay, Sunday school. For Sunday school. And then, they, and then I said, uh, where are we going for our honeymoon? Okay. Oh, you're joining? Yeah. And so I said, where are we going for our honeymoon? And they said, I That's don't know. That's hilarious. Where do you want to go? I said, Disney. For sure. Yeah. So we all went to Florida for our honeymoon, man. Come on, man. My mom, my dad, and me. I love that story. So 13, I'm at Jubilee. Okay. And I'm like, why do you guys not go to church? You've been dropping me off at church since I was... A, kid, a young boy. Yeah. You've yeah. just been dropping me off at church. You put me in Catholic school. You dropped me off at church. You've been dropping me off at church for easily a decade. You've never gone inside. Wow. What's going on? Are you Christians? Because I'm a Christian. Wow. You're 13 and you're, you're... Oh, yeah. I started preaching at 13. Come on, man. My youth pastor saw a gift to preach when I was 13. Took me to juvenile detention centers so I could preach. Yeah. They took me to nursing homes. Come on, man. By the time I started preaching at youth group, bro, no one was intimidated. I love that. Group. I love that because, you know, it's like people will see you on stage, bro, 
and they don't know about your journey. Yeah, of course. W what a journey, bro. Yeah. So rich. Juvenile not Detention Center. Yeah, not an easy one, but so rich, man. It's it's. So so tell me about this uh, discipleship and and uh, well, so he sees in you a gift of preaching. Yeah. How how do you? I mean, you're doing ministry today, bro. I mean, how did you go from preaching in juvenile det detention centers to today? By being faithful, I, like that's not cliche. That's first of all an intentionality of a leader. So let me let me say this right. I think sometimes we make decisions in church that may have short-term results, but there's not enough foresight to see that we're killing something down the road. So I'm very scared of what in America is a screen model. So we have campuses and drop a screen and someone from so You're talking like the multi-site model? Oh, yeah. Okay. Why, why are you scared? Because I'll give you a good example. I'll give you an analogy, Okay. Supply and demand, just natural supply and demand. When my wife introduced solid foods to my son, mm -hmm. it meant that she no longer breastfed my son. Mm -hmm. And because there was no demand, her supply of milk stopped. Yeah. Because that's nature. As, as, that's nature. As long as there's a demand, you're supplying. There will be a supply. What we're saying is, we're not putting a demand on new preachers and new voices. We can just drop screens everywhere. And the same 10 preachers will preach to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in an environment where when my youth pastor saw a gift in me at 13, yeah. he was thinking about me at 25. That's good. So he put me in a juvenile detention center to preach live yeah. to people my age because he saw one day he was going to plant me as a pastor somewhere. That's good. And I think that when we think, well, we're just going to. He was investing. He was thinking the long game. For sure. The long game. When he took me to a nursing home, we'd play this game where he'd take me to the sixth floor, seventh floor, eighth floor, three floors in the nursing home. And he would say, the first time, you know, first Sunday of the month, I want you to do the same sermon all three times. And I want to see how accurate you can do each one. And then the next week, he would say, okay, now I want you to do three different sermons using the same passage of scripture. No, hold, hold on. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here real quick because uh, I don't know if people listening to us, if they know, you know, even a little bit more of a context here. Now, you're, we met in Raleigh-Durham. Yeah. Uh, in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. Now, you live, you live there. Uh, you're, you're in transition right now. And I lived there. Uh-huh. Um, I spent five years of my of my life, my formational discipleship uh, time in Raleigh-Durham in a black church led by a black man who's my spiritual father. Yeah. Uh, which is not the same church you're coming from, but they know each other. For sure. Um, now, for people that don't know our ecosystem of churches, mm -hmm. um, they don't understand what a preaching and what a preacher means to a black congregation. Oh, come on. Okay. Um, That's because in the great context. In the black culture, preaching is seen as an art. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and you have to master the art. Yeah. Uh and and to us to a fault at times. To a fault. For sure, for because sure. Because sure. if you know how to perform, for sure. There's a lot of things that we'll kind of overlook. For sure. Right? For sure. But on the other hand, uh, I mean, in our in the black culture, there's this 
expectation. If you're going to get the mic on a Sunday morning, you oh, better yeah. bring it. You need to be good. So I kind of see that even in the way that your pastor is grooming you. Yes. He's like, I need you to know how, I, I, I want to make sure that you know how to communicate. Yes. Yes. Effectively. Tell, tell, tell us or people that are watching and listening to us a little bit of, in your world, what, what is preaching? Because okay. I know you're a world-class preacher yeah. and so young. And, and of course, now it makes sense. You started at 13. Yeah. And with a coach next to you. Yeah. So, well, let's give con- even more context to what you're saying. Newly freed slaves in America, okay? Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. Slaves are freed in the middle of the 18th or the middle of the 1800s, yeah. okay? And they start two institutions. Freed slaves start two institutions. Most of the times in the same building. Hmm. Churches and schools. Mm-hmm. The two things that freed black people do well wow. is start churches and schools. And so the preacher mm-hmm. is, is in most scenarios, historically, has been the most educated person in the community. Wow. When I went to Gordon College yeah. and I got exposed to white evangelical Christianity, yeah. it was the first time that I heard a white person refer to their pastor as Bob or, oh, bro, or Gary <laughs> or Greg because in bro. the culture that I'm from, yeah. um, one of the big cultural differences between black culture and white culture in the States is, and you alluded to it, but it's a value that's ingrained deep within people is by and large, European culture is individualistic culture. Yeah, yeah. Hyper-individualistic culture. Very much so. And you become informal. 100%. Black culture is corporate, communal. So when a black person sees George Floyd murdered, Oh, he a feels black it. person doesn't think, oh, that's a person that doesn't represent me. No, no, no. They think, oh, no, this is me. I see me. Exactly. Whereas when, when black people and white people dialogue sometimes in the States, part of the um, cultural, I would say, um, part of the cultural gap that exists is that a lot of times white Christians or white people in America don't have what's called group think. So there's no... No collective mindset. Collective mindset, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah. black people think this way. If my pastor is educated, I'm educated. Mm-hmm. If my pastor is wealthy, he I'm represents, wealthy. He represents he, my society. He represents exactly. me. So, so I am proud to call him bishop. Exactly. I am call, exactly. I'm proud to call him reverend, yep. doctor, or whatever. Yep. Uh, so, I actually, when I was... First year, North Carolina, black uh-huh. church, a lot of titles. Yeah. A lot of protocols. Yeah. I'm learning and I'm thinking, well, the white church down the road, I mean, like you said, you just call the pastor by the first name. Hey, Greg. Exactly. Why is it? Not, not even criticizing. I'm just trying to get educated. For sure, for sure. I'm like, why, why is this? There's no right or wrong. There isn't. It's, why is this different? Exactly. And the explanation of the family that I, first year that I, I, I got in there, um, my spiritual father said, you know, you'll, you'll have plenty to go on and get your own place. 
but I'd like to advise you to live with an African-American family for a full year. Yeah. To understand us if you're going to minister to the youth here. Yeah. And, and that's what I did. Wow. And I didn't so, know that. Oh, yeah. I lived with them for a full year. And um, I would sit there and ask about, uh, I mean, th- this is 2003. Yeah. And the, the father, Brother Johnny McGill from Durham, North, North Carolina, he would tell me of when he was in high school and he couldn't get changed in the same locker room. Oh, wow. That, that he could not drink in the same water fountain. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking, yeah. I mean, if this is 2003, this is probably the 70s that he's talking for about. For sure, for sure. And, and, and so I asked him, I said, why is it, why is there so much formality? And he says, well, we don't have much. Yeah, yeah. Can you at least allow us to have a bishop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come and on. allow us to honor this man? For sure. So don't even take the protocols away. We want the protocols. For sure. You may, or people outside may see it as a burden. For us, it's a joy. Yes. It's, it's a matter of pride. Yes. And, and that comes from this collective thinking. 100%. And so when I, got, when I got trained or discipled to be a preacher, it, w- it was not, it, it wasn't until I got older that I realized, oh, Calls come with a burden. Calls come with responsibility. Sacrifice. A, a call cost. comes with sacrifice. There's a cost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a cost associated with this. But 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. it was I am mastering the art of learning how to captivate an audience. Wow. And I, my dad was Cuban. My mom was black, so every time they would hear me preach, I'd get feedback from my dad, mm-hmm. feedback from my mom. Then I'd go off to Gordon College, and it's 99.9% white, mm-hmm. and now I get thrust into it's a culture shock. how do I communicate <laughs> to white people? Yeah. So I start watching The Office. <laughs> I start figuring out white humor. <laughs> Because the hardest thing to learn in any culture is humor. It, it is. It's true. Yeah. But once you master it. Once you get th- humor. There is such a connection. Oh, yeah. Right? It, I would say humor and food. Yeah. For sure. Right? Food yes. is like. Yeah. We're talking about food today. Yeah. So I start watching The Office and I start like understanding. How they think. White culture. And I've realized that what's being formed. And so then halfway through. My college, like halfway through, I'm a sophomore in high school. I mean, sorry, sophomore college. I, I hear about this thing called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Come on. So I go and do this discipleship training school in Where'd Orlando, Florida. Okay. And now this black kid from Boston. Yeah. Whose parents couldn't even afford a plane ticket to go to Florida. Like, wow. I mean, I grew up in poverty, man. I lived in government housing until the time I was 26 years old. Man. So my mom was a teenage mom. Yeah. Dad was in prison. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I fit very neatly within. Bro, you, you are like the point zero 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 one percent that oh, made it yeah. out. Oh, yeah. So now, I, I know you realize this. No, this no, is, I, I this get is it. This is crazy even to think about yeah. it, man. So I'm in Orlando, and they're talking about, we're going to go to Thailand. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Thailand? <laughs> I just got used to white people. Like last semester. Like I'm not even through with the office yet. And I'm going to Thailand. 
Okay. I, th I think Thailand would be easier for you, though. But guess what it did? I'm about to open up a can of worms. No, no, come on. It Do made it. me mad. Why? It made me mad. Because Why? I'm sitting there, okay? I'm sitting there. And they're doing this. In Thailand? Or no, 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 no. In Orlando. Before, before, in Orlando. Before you go to Thailand. Before I go to Thailand, okay. we're doing this missions training. Okay. Okay? And I'm sitting there fuming. And just for, for audience sake's context here, we're both YWAMers. Mm -hmm. So both of us uh, have gone through YWAM training. But go ahead. So we're doing cross-cultural sensitivity training. Okay. Okay. Uh, don't touch a Thai person on the head. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're sitting there yeah, talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about contextualization. Yep, yep. And cross-cultural. Cultural do's and don'ts and sensitivity. Yep. And I stop and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. So you can be cross-culturally sensitive to Thai people and oh, Thailand, bro. but you don't understand black people that live in America next to you? Wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So we're doing missions trips. To Mexico, but you don't like Mexicans here in America. I'm, I'm very upset. Okay, I'm My sitting God. in this training, and you, so you actually said it. What? Yes. What do they? What do they do? Uh, they got very uncomfortable, and I was like, Bro, I've I'd been, be cracking up, man. I was like, I was like, I'm one of the only black people that's here. Okay, not like. There's a bunch of black people flocking to do <laughs> to Orlando to Orlando yeah. to do this program, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, it's me. There's a girl. There's a black girl named Tiffany. Okay. And there's a Puerto Rican named Sergio. Come on, Sergio. <laughs> La raza. Everybody else in here. <laughs> everybody else in here is white, and y'all should start practicing with this, us. This cross-cultural <laughs> sensitivity with us with the colored people <laughs> right here. I'm not convinced. This is crazy. I'm not convinced oh, it's of funny. your ability to be cross-culturally sensitive. Oh, my. What year was this, man? This is 2010? Because, see, I'll tell you what, man. When I went to YWAM in 2000, I mean, YWAM was so big. Yeah. So, like, you could get something in one YWAM base and it'd be totally different in the Insanely other one. Insanely decentralized. Very decentralized. But I'll tell you, man, my experience going to Wyoming in 2000 uh, in Kona, Hawaii, it's, it's different, Hawaii. I, I get it. It's, it's not the mainland. But it was like I felt finally I left a, a, a white evangelical university uh -huh. in America. Okay. In uh, sophomore year. Yeah. And I said, I, you know, I need, I need some time out. Yeah. I had an encounter with the Lord and everything. I'm, but anyway, so. Make it out of Hawaii. And I'm like, whew, finally. Yeah, yeah. People here will understand me. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, but you'll get some of that too, man. I mean, there's like these pockets and it's like, yeah, we're talking about the nations, bro. But I mean, and hey, I'm, I'm Cuban. And I'm like, the nations are right here. Yeah. So I start asking very challenging questions. You should. Is this exoticism like are, are you just wanting exotic experiences or do you actually have a missional attitude in your life yeah because for black church mm -hmm. 
black people aren't internationally missional, if you look at just numbers. But what black churches do know is that, yo, the housing project down the street, yeah. that's our mission field. There's such a need that is palpable, like, within, you know, arm's reach. Yeah. It's like, hey, we got to, there's not even space. And not even the, just the black church. I mean, talk about America, the Latinos. Or multi, I mean, like, ethnic minority groups. Exactly, period. exactly. Including it's like, black people. We're just trying to make it, right? I mean, uh, and, and, and occasionally, and I think that's the, that's the, the, the uh, shift that we're experiencing right now in 2022 because a lot of these kids, like yourself, that grew up in these circumstances, and let's say a Latino kid, we were talking about this before, mm-hmm. a Latino kid that's a son of an immigrant, mm-hmm. makes it to America and starts, you know, built, you know, stepping up the American ladder. Yeah. And now talks to his parents and says, I want to do missions. They're like, there's not, there's not much of a grid there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But we're yeah. seeing that increase more and more. Okay. And we're seeing a lot more minorities get ready for the mission field. For sure. And our, I think that, what well, one, God is moving within the Gen Z generation. For sure. But two, that is also a portrait of the new America. Yeah. We were talking Come, about the new yes, America. the new America. And uh, the fact that under 18, according to Pew Research 2020... Whites are already a minority. Yeah. And so you think about all the Asian immigration, the Latin immigration, uh, the blacks were here already before the immigrants came. Yeah. Um, And so at least these immigrants that I'm mentioning. And uh, so you're you're, you're looking at the the melting pot. I mean, we talk about, oh, America is a melting pot. I'm, I'm looking at 2030, we'll definitely see a melting pot. For sure. For sure. And that will shift the face of the American church and 1, also of the mission force. 1,000%. I've said in youth ministry circles for a long time, we have been discipling people assuming that we're still in Jerusalem. The reality is that we need to begin discipling people for Babylon because we are not living. Bro, in, let me say this. In I, a world, I get what you're saying. It's hard for you to disciple people for Babylon, if we're not talking in Jerusalem, what people should be talking in Babylon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And why is it that it takes a George Floyd for us to talk about the original sin? Yeah. You're asking the wrong. You're, you're, you're asking the wrong guy. No, I'm actually poking at you, Manny. <laughs> Come on. I'm so, uh, <laughs> I think that, and I'll say this, right? We... I think that we sometimes, and by we, I do mean Americans, mm-hmm. assume that race and ethnicity are peripheral issues. When I think it's hard to even read the New Testament. Part of America thinks that way. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. The, pers- the, <laughs> the, the part of America the that, part is, of America that, that is an advantage. Yes. Yes. The part of America that is privileged enough to ignore race. So dominant culture, white culture, is it, it sees race and ethnicity as peripheral. I know that white Americans or white Christians see it as peripheral because if you look at orange curriculum or if you look at... <laughs> 
alpha. Or if you look at, or if you look oh, your at. name is tough, bro. Oh, yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, the curriculum that we use to disciple middle school students, high school students. Like, yeah, if, yeah, if we yeah. just look at, a sermon series don't say nothing. What? Show me your Sunday school curriculum. Wow. What are you actually now in all of these curriculums? Guess what? We, whether we're talking AG, you know, 17 fundamental truths or whatever mm -hmm, we're talking, mm -hmm. none of these organizations are saying, no, actually, multi-ethnic, multicultural, racial identity formation is a non-negotiable element of being a fully formed disciple <laughs> of Jesus. True. That, that is, is not... in Pentecost like we were talking about? Yeah. You see it in Pentecost... We, we as Pentecostals, yes. we see it in Azusa Street. Yeah. Right? Now, I'm, I asked you a question during lunch, which I'm going to ask you the same question because I, so, I think it's so critical that we start wrestling with this issue. Uh, we're both conservatives. For sure. Uh, you're, you're conservative. I'm conservative. We're both Christians. Yes. Although I am a Christian conservative, I am not a Christian nationalist. For sure. And you're not as well. No, definitely not. So if somebody comes and asks you, asks you Manny, what, what, how do you draw a line between what is Christian conservatism and Christian nationalism? Yep. How would you explain that? Okay. So there's always a test with me, right? And the test, my dad used to say this. I don't know if this is, will translate. What's good for the geese is good for the gander. That's what my dad used to always say, Okay, right? explain. Like, what's, what's good for one is good for the other. So yes. the rule has to apply. We can't have a double standard or one-way street. It's got to be coherent. To work both ways. So I'll give you a good example, right? Let's take conservative values, which I hold to. Conservative values. Gun ownership in America. Conservative value. A conservative value that I agree with. Okay? I agree, too. It's a good thing. And? White Christians. So, so you're, you're, you're in favor of gun ownership? Yes. Okay. I'm black. So, yes. If you're black in America, you should own guns. Yep. Yeah. You're, exist you're, you're, you're not safe. So, yeah, you should own guns. 1,000%. Yep. yep. But guess what? The moment I say that, guess who's uncomfortable? The white, white conservative is uncomfortable because the white conservative wants to own guns. And, but and the moment course, black people want to own guns, now we, we, we feel uncomfortable because the line got drawn. And what that reveals, the fact that you like this for your group but don't like it for everyone, means that you are a nationalist. You're not a conservative. You're a nationalist because if you were actually a conservative, you would want... Asians and Hispanics and blacks and to, Arabs. All, and to all have Middle Easterns, yeah. Conservative privileges. Now, and, and so for our audience, if you're white and you're listening to what Manny is saying and you say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm pro guns. I mean, I don't have a problem with people owning guns and I don't have a problem with black people owning guns, with Asian people owning guns, with uh, Arabs owning guns, Arab Americans owning guns. Okay. We're not talking about you. We're not talking about you. You're not a Christian nationalist. However, exactly. You're a Christian conservative, just exactly. like myself and Manny. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And just let's to take, clarify, let's take every other conservative value. Hey, entrepreneurship, free market, free market, 
family businesses, family values, property ownership, private property ownership. Come on. Small government. Okay, yep. these are all values that actually work in favor for black people. And you were talking about uh, entrepreneurship. So I'm in a context where there are more black men in prison than in college. That is a real number in America right now. That is crazy. More black men in prison than in college, which means when you get out of prison, it's very hard to find a job. Yeah, you're not going to get a job. You're not getting a job. You better start your own business. But guess what you can do? Yep. You can get a landscaping company. Come you on. can start flipping real and estate. And employing other brothers coming out Yo, of the prison system. You can start a laundromat. You, you, there's lots of businesses you can get into. But guess what the, li the, the line in the sand is? It's we like it. We like multiculturalism until it's in my neighborhood. Until my daughter... Is dating a black dude. <laughs> and then, th see, this is the line or, between. Or, or a Mexican. Like I was, yeah. I, I was, uh, yo, when I was in America, bro, it, uh, I'm like, I was in love with this white girl, bro, in um, freshman, freshman year. She couldn't date me because I was Mexican. I was like, well, tell your parents I'm not Mexican. <laughs> I am Brazilian. Ah. And by the way, half Italian, half Japanese. They did not care. Oh, oh, he looks Mexican. He's brown. They didn't care. But anyway, so here's, here's the theological point, the biblical point. You cannot read the New Testament without concluding that the dominant issue for Paul in all of his letters is that the church of Jesus is going to be a multicultural force in the world. Now, for Paul, that was radical. Religion and ethnicity went together in the Greco-Roman world. If you were Spartan, you worshiped Spartan gods. It's just how it worked. If you were Jewish, you worshiped the Jewish god. Mm -hmm. Ethnicity and religion were very went connected. hand in hand. Yeah, we're, it was pretty much fused in together. One and the same. Exactly. For Paul to say... Well, even today, you go to Israel and you ask a, a, a Jewish kid, you know, I mean, what's your religion? And he says, well, I'm Jewish. Yeah. I'm from Israel. Think about this. Paul has an experience with the risen Lord. And his conviction after having an encounter with the risen Lord is a couple of things. Number one, stop persecuting the church. Mm -hmm. Number two, stop being law-based and be grace-based. Mm -hmm. Number three, stop being mono-ethnic or ethnocentric. Come on. And become multi-ethnic. Create multi-ethnic communities all around the Greco-Roman world. These Whoa. were the three responses that Paul has exactly. to the risen Jesus. This so is good. not a peripheral thing. And the fact that you're looking at Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost comes as a Holy Spirit endorsement. Oh, yeah. Of You're talking about Jewish Arabs, Jewish from Cappadocia, oh, which yeah. is Turkey. Yeah. You're talking about Jewish from Rome. I mean... All these Jewish people coming yeah. from different ethnic backgrounds. Everywhere from the empire. And, and we can't ignore the fact that the Holy Spirit comes down yep. as a seal of endorsement yes. of what happens in the upper room. Yep. And so we're looking at, at that and, and, and Paul being raised up as an ambassador for the, the, 
you know, the, the spreading of the gospel in and, the church. And not just as an ambassador, as a guardian. If you read Acts chapter 15, he's a guardian. He stands up to Peter, opposes him to sure, his face. Sure. He, it's not just, I'm going to go do this in my little sector. It's mm -mm. no, this is the gospel. Like without this, if we try to make Christians Jews, we have lost the essence of what the gospel is, that this is inherently multi-ethnic. Yeah, you, we were talking about that Pauline um, perspective. Oh, yeah. And I feel like this Pauline perspective is so needed for us in the world that we live in. We, we live in a world where Internet has just brought the cultures closer to close. I mean, we were talking about millennials and Gen Zs and all that kind of stuff even before we started recording. Um, and you take a, a, a millennial from Australia and you compare him to a millennial from, let's say, Italy. Mm -hmm. And you compare him with a millennial, let's say, uh, from Indonesia. Yeah. And you will see there's differences. Yeah, yeah. Now, you take a Gen Z kid from Australia and a Gen Z kid from Indonesia and a Gen Z kid from Italy, you will see that the differences are shorter. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're closer together yeah. because of the day and age that we live in, exactly. the technology, uh, never ever in the, in the human history have we seen so much immigration, so much uh, easiness to just relocate. For sure. We're in a global community. Global community. And... Uh, Paul was this global leader. 100%. Very much different than Peter. Yes. <laughs> now, we were talking about that. Yeah. The difference. And, and so, in a way, it's like for the church in America to actually make it to the next generation. Yes. We need to kind of leave a Peter mentality going into a Pauline mentality. 1,000%. Yes. Can yes. you unpack that? Yeah. First of all, that's what we see in the book of Acts, right? What we see in the book of Acts is this transition from Peter to Paul. So literally right about half of the book is you're going to see this smooth transition. So much so that Luke says every, every miracle that happens with Peter starts happening with Paul. So mm. Peter has a miraculous escape from prison. Paul has a miraculous escape from prison. Peter's shadow heals people. Well, Paul, handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs yeah. heal people, right? Yeah. So the author of the book of Acts wants us to see yeah, this comparison yeah, yeah. That's good. between the unlearned fishermen and Jewish, this Jewish unlearned Called fisherman for the Jews, yeah. who, who would have lived a isolated, he lived in Galilee. It, it, you, this is a isolated farm, like fishing community of Jewish people. Paul, when, when Jesus took Peter to the Decapolis for the first time, it would have blown his mind. When, when, when Jesus took Peter to the tomb where the man was in chains where there's a legion of demons mm -hmm. and there's pigs. Yep, yep. Peter would have lost his mind. So much so that when we get to the book of Acts, the sheet is revealed from heaven. Yep, and yep. Peter is like, uh-uh. It's like taking a, a kid out in the boonies to San Francisco. Exactly. Dropping him in there or, or like the Bronx or New York City. Peter is probably not multilingual. Peter has lived around Jewish people his whole life. And he says... When he's on Cornelius' roof, he says, I've eaten kosher my, my whole, whole life. life. That's right. So we're talking about a devout Jewish male living in a bubble. Paul is from Tarsus. Now, Tarsus is not Galilee. 
Tarsus is a cosmopolitan city. Paul would have been multilingual. He probably would have spoken Aramaic, Greek. Mm-hmm. He clearly understands Hebrew. Hebrew, yeah. He's trained under Gamaliel, but he's living in Greek culture. When mm-hmm. we get to Acts chapter 17, Paul is going to quote Epimenides, a, a Greek philosopher Stoic, and a poet. Yep. He's going to understand how to communicate with Stoics and Epicureans. Mm-hmm. Paul is a globally minded person. The place he's where a global thinker, oh, global leader. Yeah. He's a global it, church it's, planter. It's that Jerusalem. Uh, uh, we were talking about like going from Jerusalem to Babylon. Well, the 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 comparison is there. The only reason that there are Jews in Tarsus is because of the exile, right? The, the yeah. people of Israel are exiled yeah. all over the empire. So Babylon doesn't just represent physical Babylon. It represents a dispersion of Jews all over the empire. And these Jews all over the empire, they have to create a Greek version of the, of the Old Testament, which we know is the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. Like they have to adapt to Greco-Roman culture. And that is who Paul is. So when wow. Paul says the words, I am a Greek to the Greeks, I am a Jew to the Jew, he's not even saying it as like a, you have to be that too. What he's saying is, this is who I am. That's who I my am. My life. I can't not be that. Exactly. I am. I can just flow. Yeah. Basically what he's saying is, I'll flow here, I'll flow there. I'm Japanese, I'm yep. Italian, I live it's, in Brazil. It's, it's the I'm, Bruce Lee I'm, mentality. Yeah. It, you, know, it, yeah. you know, like, yeah. be water, be water my <laughs> friend. Yeah. yeah. What is a water inside a jar? Dude, that is yeah. Paul. And if we are going to lead effectively, if we're going to lead global communities effectively, then yeah, I mean, just think about how many ethnicities are represented in the two of us sitting right exactly. here. Exactly, so many. And my journey has been a journey of, okay, how do I understand white people? All right, got to watch The Office. Okay, how, how can I communicate about race in a way that doesn't make white people just mad at me, but makes them want to like, like build bridges? Yeah, get hey. involved in the journey. So then I'm on this mission trip and my YWAM leader's like, well, you're going to preach when we're in Thailand. So now I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah. So finish this off. So you go off and say, hey. <laughs> yeah. So this kid from the hood starts traveling the world. And I had a mentor who said to me, this is, this is I think, is a great place to land the plane. He said, because I'm, fr- I'm from Roxbury, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I'm from the inner city of Boston. Mm-hmm. That was my perspective. That's said, your world, your worldview. That is my worldview. And this is what um, a, a mentor of mine by the name of Chris Hill said to me. He said, be careful not to form a worldview until you have viewed the world. Said, That's powerful. Be careful not to form a worldview because you won't be forming a worldview. You'll be forming a bubble view. Wow. That's all you'll be forming. Wow. You have to view the world. And That's good. What he was saying was. That's a good advice right there. I grew up in the same neighborhood you grew up in. Mm. I grew up thinking that this, that Boston was my world. The world. Cambridge was a world away. Yeah. Because we grew up in a black inner city neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I, so now I'm in college. I go to Thailand. Now I'm like, oh, okay. I've got to form a worldview. Mm. So then I'm on campus and I see an advertisement for a study abroad semester in Uganda. 
So I'm going, okay, I'm signing up. So I go live in Uganda for five months. Take so a, rich, man. Take a month-long trip to Rwanda. And then my school had learned that I had done a YWAM trip to Thailand, and they asked me if I would lead a summer missions trip to South Africa. Come on. Of college students. And I'm going, yep, sign for me sure. up. Because now I need to see South Africa. I can't talk authoritatively about race in America if I don't understand how race in South Africa works. I mean, because yeah. I will only be spouting the stuff from my bubble view. Mm -hmm. I need a world view. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm done with college. And I'm like, man, I could get a job or I could move to Europe. And... Go back with YWAM, read the Bible five times in nine months. So I go live in England, and for Christmas, I, we had... Where, I, where did you do the school in England? It's is it in, in a little town called Nuneaton, the King's Lodge in Nuneaton. Is that close to Coventry at all? It's no? close to Coventry. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So now... It's the middle of nowhere, right? So now it is the middle of nowhere. Exactly. There's nothing there. It's not like you're in London. No. You're out there. But it was the first time that I started to understand... What made me American? Because wow. my whole life, my identity has been black. Black, exactly. Now, now you're American. Now I'm in the UK. Yeah, exactly. And everyone is like, "Oh, yeah, Manny, oh, the American." They'll make sure you know you're American. And so in now, the UK. for the first time, just they by the they told me how to hold utensils, how to how to actually, of course, they would eat properly. You yeah. know, because I have a knife and fork with a fork and a knife. Yeah. Not like those Americans with only one fork yeah. and a finger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm in London for a weekend and I find out you know, there's German markets in London. Why would I go to a German market in London when I can go to Germany? For sure. You just what, what is it? EasyJet? Yeah. Ryanair. Ryanair. Yeah. Forty nine pounds. Go to Germany for the first time. Then I'm like, why would I stop there? Go to Vienna for the first time. Prague for the first time. Come on, Go man. to Rome for a weekend. Dublin wow. for a weekend. So now I come back to Boston as a 22-year-old. You don't have a bubble view. I now, my worldview is growing. Yeah. So when, so when Teo Hayashi asked me to come speak at Zion Church in Brazil, and I'm now in my 30s, it's not I, as foreign. I now understand how to connect with someone yes. who has nothing in common with me. This is so good, Manny. Because I've spent years wax on, wax off. <laughs> wax on, wax off. How do I become a Paul in a very Pauline world? Yeah. Peters are not gonna last in Pauline world in the in a Pauline world. Come on, man. And Jesus. Jesus sees Paul and physically comes back. Come on. Like, I need this guy. Exactly. <laughs> I need this guy. Yeah, yeah. Stops Paul in his tracks because of what? Because of the skill sets that Paul carries. Moses is the same kind of leader. Exactly. How would a slave who's illiterate be able to write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, no, and Deuteronomy? the Lord set him up, man. No. Exactly. He's I, rescued I by Egyptians educated by Egyptians to lead the people of Israel, a multi-ethnic leader. We see this uh, multi-ethnic um, emphasis in the Gospels. I mean, from Genesis to, to Revelation 7-9, you see that constantly. And, and I'd say, you know, even 
when we look at church history, I'd say, you know, uh, I mean, we, we love church history. So yeah. we're, we're talking about this uh, in the back room there. Uh, but we were talking about Azusa Street. For sure. And uh, the birth of the Pentecostal move. Yeah. And uh, how that actually had uh, the ramifications into racial justice. Yeah. Uh, it, it was said in, in, in Azusa Street that the only place that you'll find um, Chinese, hmm. Mexicans, black and whites together is in a prayer meeting in Azusa Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so Pentecostalism, we're both Pentecostals. Yes. Um, carries this uh, multi-ethnic thing so strong. Oh, yeah. It's in our DNA. And, and uh, I'm looking at so many kids that grew up in Pentecostal tradition as they're growing up and coming to an age of saying, hey, I want more Bible. Yeah. Moving camps yeah. into, let's say, more of a Reformed tradition, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking, how... You know, you know what I'm saying. I'm, it, for me, when it comes to the multi-ethnic expressions yep. of the kingdom yep. that I see in the biblical narrative and even to the church of today, yep. I kind of see—I I don't see how that follows through. And I'm by no means saying that our Reformed brothers aren't multi-ethnic, but what I'm trying to say is there is such a richness of multi-ethnicity in the yeah. Pentecostal tradition. Yeah. Um, and I know we talked about this before, but um, I don't know how the Reformed emphasis would continue to make this multi-ethnic expression keep going on to the next generation. Yeah. So two things, right? It's really important for anyone to understand that's watching this or listening to this. First is that the, the, the dichotomy between Pentecostals emphasize an encounter with the Holy Spirit and Reformed camp emphasizes the Bible and theology is a mm -hmm. false dichotomy. Pentecostal it, it, theology. There's like this a preconception. Yes. Yes. There's a, a pre prejudice. There's a preconceived notion that because Reformed theology is easier to articulate, that it is deeper. Or more intellectual. And that's not true. Pentecostals have a deep and rich theology. And our theology is not centered in the book of Romans. Our theology is centered in the book of Luke and Acts. And so for every tradition, there's a canon within the canon. Mm -hmm. And for Pentecostals, we have a deep theology. That's number one. This is the reason I'm in a doctoral program right now. Because I think we need more Pentecostals who are willing to go to school and, and get the respect that a degree comes with so that we can properly articulate the beauty and the nuances of Pentecostal theology. See, this is what I don't get. I don't get when I see a young man or woman that is hungry for the Lord and grew up in a Pentecostal tradition and they're not the majority culture, mm -hmm. minority culture, mm -hmm. but making the shift over to a reformed uh, yeah. emphasis. Yeah, and, and it's... And, and I'm thinking, you, you kind of work in again, you kind of oh. contradicting yourself here. Yeah, well, I don't know if they realize yeah. when we're talking about the elect, yeah. when we're talking about women's yeah. role in ministry, yeah. how this is not very inclusive. It's, it's not inclusive at all. And it's inherently exclusive. So let, let's talk about. I kind of see them backpedaling, I mean, oh. or working their way backwards. The, the only way, and, and this is a harsh statement, but it's okay, we're mature. 
<laughs> I'm saying that about our we, we, listeners. We begin the podcast talking about Scarface, and then we, yeah, yeah. we're ending saying we're mature. Yeah, we're mature. <laughs> the the only way to read Paul's letters and conclude a reformed theology from Paul's letters is to read Paul with individualist eyes. So when Paul uses the word you, okay, anyone from an Eastern tradition, which is communal, mm-hmm. is going to see the word you as plural. For sure, yeah. So you is talking about the church. Mm-hmm. The church has been elected as the bride of Christ. The reformed world is going to take the word you and make it you the person. Very European. Very European. So it is inherent within reformed theology to be European. Yeah, well, it began there. (laughs) Yeah. And guess what? It was a German solution to a German problem. Wow. It was a European solution to a European problem. Yes. I feel no pressure. Yep. As a black man, I, I need my own solutions. For my own problems. To my own problems. And I'll look at the scripture with that lens. Yes. But inherently, reform, the reform tradition is going to do three things. It is going to put women in a backseat. Just mm-hmm. is. Because the passage that Pentecostals hang their hat on is in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, yep. my young men, old men, okay, so there's generational, and then women and men will all what? Dream dreams, have visions, my spirit will be poured out on, on them. Well, if you do away with Acts 2 and you say, no, this is only for the early church, then we don't have to platform women. We don't have to. Second, mm. it's not going to, it's not inherently multi-ethnic. And third, it is elitist. So when people say, well, I believe in the elect of God, I'm like, no, you believe in the elitist of God. Not the elected. No, it's not the elect. It's the elite. <laughs> it's the elite. Because ah, uh, if we just look at reformed churches, especially in America. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's just America. I think it's, it's across the board in it, the Western civilization. It, it is not a theology. Well, let's just say it this way. Go find me a humble reform person, and I'll pay, I'll pay you a lot of money. It's a theology that produces <laughs> arrogance. Yeah. One thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. If someone comes up to me after a sermon and says, "Well, I have a issue with your theology," I can I know right off reform. the bat. Yeah, you're reformed. <laughs> you think you think that this is an appropriate thing to do? You think that this is like a good thing that you should just be questioning everybody's. You, who made you the you theology police? You tell them, go start a blog or a YouTube <laughs> yeah, channel. Yeah, yeah, the theology, we have to say, well, what is this? Everything has a seed and a fruit. So what does the seed of this thought, what does it produce when it's fully formed? And I just go, well, look at the fruit. This produces religious pride. This produces arrogance. It produces a mindset that is not as inclusive and has a worldview that is big enough for the future of the church. So, I, I mean, and it's outdated. We're, we're, I think it worked for Martin Luther. I think it was awesome for Calvin. No, it definitely worked. It was it, amazing for the reformers. It was reformers. God sent for them. <laughs> it was definitely God sent for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a Holy Spirit-inspired. Uh, now, I mean, our time is like we've been talking for maybe an hour already. But, uh, bro, I could go another hour. But I want to just kind of finish off, bro, just um, – 
just hearing from you, I mean, we, we both love revival. We yeah. dream about revival. Yeah. Um, what is revival for you? What and I know, it, I, I know it's a oh. packed, it, 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 it's, it's a packed question here, but I mean, to a, to oh a my young person, how would you explain, hey, this is revival? When I think about revival, actually, I think you're a great model for revival because you have, you have been able to marry a movement with a church. So dunamis movement mm-hmm. has all of the flexibility and the power mm-hmm. of a movement, okay? But the local church has authority. Oh, stability, man. And stability. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when, when I say power versus authority, I'll give everybody an analogy, right? If you interact with a police officer in the States, a police officer's badge is their authority. Mm-hmm. Their gun is their power. And I think the church that's has a good, authority. That's a good example, yeah. And a movement has power. Wow. And when you look at something like Planet Shakers, I, say, I go, yeah, this is a conference. This is a movement that was able to get roots down and become a church. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, that balance yeah. is, man, that's the book of Acts. There's wow. a movement happening, but it's not so, because we've all seen, or maybe we haven't all seen, but anyone who studies church history has seen revivals come and go. Yeah. So revivals yeah. here and then it's gone. Yeah. And I think we want prolonged, sustained societal transformation. For sure. And the movement helps the church not to be so rigid, yep. but the church helps the movement to actually have roots. Yep. And to me... And make sure it's building something. Yes. And to me, so I I would actually say, man, today you you are a model for someone like me who's even wrestling with a lot of these questions. And I I don't even know that I've ever told you this privately, Mm -hmm. but I think that what you're doing here, Mm -hmm. which is why I love being here, seriously... Mm -hmm. Um, is actually a model. And uh, if you were to ask me biblically what's the model, I would say Paul in Ephesus is prop, is the, I think Ephesus is the crowning jewel of Paul's ministry. Ministry, yeah. yeah. And what we have is movement, yeah. powerful revival movement, um, because revival comes with power, mm-hmm. a demonstration of power. But then he leaves Timothy in place There's with authority. There's locally something being built. With substance. Yep. That can be sustained Praise God. for the long haul. So uh, the last time I was here, because even when me and you have talked privately, mm-hmm. you said, you know, I thought God was crazy. How am I going to, how am I going to lead a movement? Do both. Yeah. In a church. How? Yeah. And actually talking to you has helped me to even see within myself. Mm. Actually, there's a there's a similar call on my life. Come on, man. To do both, and I think you're a model. I think you're going to be a model for thousands of leaders. Seriously, praise for, God for that kind of. Well, I appreciate the love, man. Praise God, and I appreciate your time. And uh, I think, uh, bro, we have fun. We get into topics we love. Oh yeah. 
And he uh, said some controversial things. <laughs> That's the fun part of it, man. Come yeah, on. yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it was good, bro. It was good, man. I hope I'm, I don't get canceled. Uh, not at all, man. I um, well, if you do, I'll go with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm leaving inspired, man. And thank you so much uh, for everybody watching and listening to us. Another Dunamis podcast. I hope that you're leaving this podcast just as inspired as I as I am. And Manny, thank you so much. How do people get a hold of you, man? I mean, how do they check you out? Hey, my actual real Instagram. Your real one. <laughs> yeah, my real one. Okay, uh, I'm at Manny. Hey, you got Arango. some fake accounts out there? Oh man, there. You know, this I've point, never had a fake account. Are you serious? Never. Then you haven't made it yet, man. You, uh, I, I guess clearly, not. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, clearly, God's favors all my life, and oh man, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that day. All oh, right, man. <laughs> so your your Instagram, is it? Your in, are you on TikTok as well? I'm on TikTok too. Oh come on, you do the dancing? No, 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 dance. no, no, okay. no, no, no. I don't embarrass myself. Okay, no. okay. At Manny Arango, no dots, no underscores, no. no it's just at M A N N Y A R A N G O on the Manny Arango. Follow me, DM me. I respond to every DM. All right, man. Thank you so much, dude. Love you. See you next time. Love you too.